This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. James, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, James, tell me how Trump got his party to love Russia. This is the piece you have on WashingtonPost.com. What's going on here? Well, I think there's two groups, basically. Um, One of the opportunists, and this being Washington, I think that's most of the Republicans that we're talking about. Um, People who basically just seem untroubled by the various connections between Trump and Russia, his statements on Russia that are very at odds with, you know, decades of Republican Party policy, uh, going back to the Cold War, obviously. Um, And a lot of Republican officials just seem to kind of, you know, look askance at this, and it didn't really seem to bother them. Um, I'm thinking of people like Newt Gingrich, people who should really know better. Um, And then the other group, I'd say, is a more kind of hardened ideological um, faction, you could say, within the conservative movement that actually sees Russia as a potential ally, uh, against Islamic terrorism, and they think that NATO expansion was really antagonistic and not worth it, um, and that Russia can you know, basically be our friend because it's no longer communist. Um, and that the reason why we ought to have opposed Russia earlier was because it was godless and you know, opposed to the free market and all those other things that the Soviet Union uh, did. Uh, but now that the Soviet Union has gone, we should be friends with the Russians. Um, and so these are the, basically the, the two groups that I see. One's more opportunistic. One is more ideological, um, but they basically seem to be on the ascent. Now, for those who say that Trump's rhetoric uh, doesn't trouble them because, well, his positions change and he had to get elected, maybe as he comes into office, he'll evolve on this stuff. I, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows, but we'll just put that aside for a second. What are, When people talk about the troubling Russia connections, what are the ones that have, have really been established? Other than him thinking Putin is strong and smart and, and that stuff. I mean, what are the actual, because it seems like there's a lot that's made of how Trump is so pro-Russia because it's he has interests in Russia. What are they? Mm-hmm. Well, we know, uh, first of all, it's hard to divine uh, the extent of his interest in Russia because to this day he refuses to return to release his tax returns. And presumably if he did that, then we would be able to find out. What we do know, his son, Don Jr., said at a public investment conference once in Moscow, that a great deal of the Trump organization's investments and investors are Russian. So that's on the record. Um, and then during his campaign, he had numerous advisors who were very close to the Kremlin, not the least of whom was his uh, campaign chairman for a couple of months, Paul Manafort, who um, you know was a, was a hired hand for the pro-Russian president of Ukraine um, for several years, uh, the one who you know fired on his own citizens and fled to Russia. Um, so those, I would say, are the two major connections that we're aware of publicly. Um, and that's, obvi- and that's obviously in addition to his, his public statements, which, as you said earlier, you know, he's on many issues, he sh- he's shifted back and forth over the years, and it's hard to divine really where he stands. I will say on Russia, he's been very clear for many years um, that he is basically sees that, we, that the U.S. should have a rapprochement with Russia. He's been fairly consistent on that. Um, what would a smart policy, uh, smart Russia policy for the administration be? 
Well, I think it's certainly not what we've had for the past eight years under President Barack Obama. Um, and I think re recognizing that Russia is basically at the least an adversary, if not an enemy, of the United States and the liberal international order. I mean, you can go through any issue um, from A to Z, and Russia is basically opposed to U.S. interests. They're basically playing spoiler. Um, we are not allies, and we don't really have much strategically in common, at least with this regime. If Russia was Democrat, I mean, Trump says, wouldn't it be great to be friends with Russia? And I agree. It would be great to be friends with Russia, with North Korea, and with Cuba as well. The reason why the United States isn't friends with those regimes is because they're ruled by dictators. Um, so until Russia has a, you know, a, a functioning democracy, then I don't really see us having a productive relationship with them. Um, so I think we need to you know, basically contain them like we did during the Cold War. We need to increase our sanctions against them for all their horrible behavior. They're you know, invading Ukraine and annexing Crimea, their continued um, subversion of uh, democracy across Europe, supporting various extremists. Um, so, you know, in, increasing sanctions and just basically being clear-eyed about who the Russians are. And I feel that we haven't had that for the past eight years under Barack Obama, certainly. But I'm afraid that we're not going to get it under the incoming ad administration either. And to those who say that Russia is too big to ignore, obviously still a major nuclear power uh, with many thousands of, of nuclear weapons at its disposal, too big to ignore literally as a, as a landmass, right? it's an, an enormous country, yeah. And has uh, a pretty strong, even though its military isn't perhaps what it once was, it's been able to flex its muscles and have a strong hand in geopolitical affairs well well outside of its borders, even outside of its periphery, given what's happened in Syria recently. Uh, it, it, there must is there is there some common ground to start from to try and improve relations, or do, do you think that a a policy of if the policy is open containment, I mean, isn't that going to ratchet up tensions? Isn't that going to make things even more difficult in places where we're already at odds with Russia? I think tensions are going to be ratcheted up regardless. And do you want them ratcheted up on our terms or, or, the, or the Russians' terms? Look, every president comes into office thinking that he can fix Russia. This happened with Obama. It happened with George W. Bush. Remember, he looked into Putin's eyes and saw his soul. I mean, this is, this is de rigueur in U.S. presidential administration history. I think we need to be realistic about what we're dealing with here, and this is a regime that is committed um, to the destruction of the liberal order that the United States has built and constructed and sustained for 75 years. So, uh, no, I think we do need to, as you would say, ratchet up the tensions, um, and we need to really revert back to a kind of Reagan-esque uh, policy, and that's to, you know, we win, they lose. Um, and I, is, is, that a, is that a scaled-down Cold War 2.0? Is it fair to call it that? It's different in many ways because, I mean, look, it's much more sophisticated what the Russians are doing. Back in the Cold War, we knew who the enemy was. They were communists, and they were supporting communists around the world and revolution around the world. You could pretty easily identify where people stood. Now you have everyone from you know, Marine Le Pen in France on the far right to the Syriza party in Greece, which is on the far left, and they are all basically sympathetic to Russia. So it's a much more complicated picture that we're dealing with. And it's also not a purely military one. I mean, back during the Cold War, you know, we had 500,000 troops in Europe, and we were concerned about a potential Soviet, you know, military takeover of the European continent. That's why we were so invested in European security. It's not going to happen. We're not, we're, not, we're not expecting, you know, Russian tanks to roll their way through Germany on the, on the way to France now. They have other sophisticated tools. It's the disinformation, as we've seen, which was so effective, I think, in the U.S. presidential election. It's corruption. It's bribery. It's buying 
uh, former European officials like Gerhard Schroeder or Berlusconi in Italy. Um, they're they're very crafty at this, and it's it's just a completely different battlefield than it was 30 years ago during during the Cold War. And what does Putin's blueprint look like? Let's assume that the worst fears are true. Um, uh, the worst fears are true that Trump is going to be far too friendly and open towards Russia, pliant even when dealing with Russia. Uh, if Putin gets his way, I assume that this ties also into your book, The End of Europe, Dictators, Demagogues, yeah. and the Coming Dark Age, which we'll have you back on to talk about yeah. when it's when it's out in March. But without giving away the plot already or giving away too much of the book, yeah. what does Putin's world look like? I think it's a world where, where might makes right and basically where bullies get to you know get away with whatever they want. And it's a return to spheres of interests. Um, and so, you know, Putin would basically say to Trump, look, you guys can have the Americas. You can have Latin America. That's traditionally been the American sphere of interest. Do what you want. Let me deal with Eastern Central Europe, um, South Asia and my part of the world. Uh, and I think that's wrong for several reasons, not least of which is that, as you mentioned earlier, Russia is the biggest country, the biggest landmass on Earth. So it, it pretty much gets to have whatever sphere of interest it says it wants. It it, its periphery is really big. <laughs> it's a really big country. So they can pretty much dictate to us what they want. And I think it's wrong morally. I don't think I think countries should I mean, they should have the right to choose their own security and political arrangements. And if Ukraine someday in the distant future uh, qualifies to be a member of the European Union and NATO, and NATO and the EU want to let them in, I don't see why we should bow down to Moscow and say that that can't happen. Um, I don't think we should. It's basically appeasement. Um, and so I think, you know, we've, we've sacrificed so much blood and treasure um, over the past 75 years, making the world more safe for democracy, for freedom, for free markets. Um, and I think it would be a shame to see that crack and to see us in retreat on that. And I think that's that's basically the world that we may be entering now. Do you see major disagreements, given that Trump has got uh, General Mattis and will have him in place at the Pentagon? And there are some other figures in the administration who there's at least reason to believe have a different view or a, a different proclivity towards Russia than Donald Trump does. Do, do you think this is going to be a major point of dissent early on in the administration? I'm not so sure about the administration. I think you're right about Jim Mattis. There was an article last week in the Washington Post already about there being some tension between him and the White House in terms of hiring uh, people. He wanted to hire some of the never-Trump national security Republicans who had opposed you know, Trump in the primaries and in the election. Um, but if you're looking at the way the rest of the administration is shaping out, um, it seems to be that it is, it is tilting in a more pro-Russian direction, certainly with the appointment of Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State. You know, this is a former head of a CEO of ExxonMobil. Um, and look, when your job is the CEO of ExxonMobil, it's to make deals, and especially to make deals in Russia. That's why he had such a great personal relationship with Vladimir Putin. And I'm not really sure that the skill set that one acquires when you're the CEO of an international oil company is really the same skill set that you should have when you're Secretary of State, when there are other competing interests, for instance, values and human rights in the interests of American allies in Central and Eastern Europe. These are not things that really factor into your mind when you're striking you know, oil and gas deals with Vladimir Putin. Um, so I, I would expect to see the most resistance coming from Congress. Uh, you're already seeing it from John McCain and Lindsey Graham, the more hawkish members of the Senate. 
Um, and this is why, again, I'm, I'm so d- d- disappointed in the Republican Party, I mean, which has traditionally been the more hawkish, certainly when it comes to Russia, party um, for decades. And to see them just basically collapse so easily because they're the nominal Republican, Donald Trump, who's the president, has this bizarre romance with a hostile foreign power, I think is really a shame. James Kerchick is a fellow with the Foreign Policy Initiative. He's got a book coming out in March, The End of Europe, Dictators, Demagogues, and the Coming Dark Age. We'll have him back on when that hits the shelves. James, really appreciate you joining us today. Great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 